Well, it's been an interesting year for storms, hasn't it? <clears throat> we were without power for 36 hours a few weeks ago. Had my grandki grandkids over, and <clears throat> the first night after the thunderstorm, my <clears throat> youngest came down in the morning, and uh, the big eyes, he looked at me, he said, Bob, he said the clouds were bumping into each other last night. That was his interpretation of thunder, of course. Next night, we, uh, I think his mother had her talking to him, and he was walking down the hall with the pillow over his head, past our room, saying to himself over and over again, I'm not afraid. I'm very brave. I think I'll go sleep with Mommy. Uh, you know, you don't have to be three to be afraid of storms, do you? In fact, some of you have some storms probably in your life right now that are a little bit unnerving. <clears throat> storms are, you know, all shapes and sizes. Sometimes they just come suddenly out of nowhere. Sometimes you know they're coming, but the storms of life, our lives are full of them. And so here in Acts we see this storm and... Actually, this is one of the most instructive documents for ancient seamanship that exists. I don't know if you know that. But the, but the description here, and by the way, this is Luke's description as you begin chapter 27 uh, of the book of Acts. You'll notice a little interesting thing that you, you might not pick up if you're just reading. But it says in verse 1, it says, When it was decided that we would sail for Italy. Well, who's we? Well, it's Paul and it's Luke. And there was another attendant with them that were allowed to go on this trip. So the story that we have in Acts 27 was recorded by Luke, who was on the ship. And so we have very good detail about what happened. So I thought we'd just take a moment. I'd, I'd just like to walk you through again what happened on this, in this storm. And so if you look up on the wall, you'll see a, uh, a map. And we're going to start in the kind of the, the right side there down, I don't know if you can see up there, because the, the towns are really small, but on the very, there's kind of a line there, that white line that shows the course. The lower right, it starts in Jerusalem, and the upper left is Rome. And what's interesting is, and one of the reasons Luke includes this is because from Jerusalem to Rome, there were several times when Paul's life was on the line. But God said, you are going to go and testify in Rome. And so Luke is showing us that that's exactly what happened. And, you know, it's interesting because God just keeps putting Paul in these impossible situations and he just keeps coming through them by the grace of God. And so let me just walk you through the story again. They start in Jerusalem and Paul's taken up to Caesarea. And that's where he says, I want to appeal to Caesar. So they're going to send him to Rome. The first day, they... They have a short little journey here. And you'll see there, it's from Caesarea to Sidon. It's about 67 miles, easy one-day trip. They travel up the coast. There's a west wind. So you can see how that, if you're a sailor, are there any, are there any sailors here? Are there any sailors here? Oh, one person. Okay, I'm going to have to bring this down to a basic level. <clears throat> you cannot sail into the wind, Okay. First principle, you can't sail a sailboat into the wind. You have to tack, you know. Ideally, if the wind's at your back, you can really cruise. But otherwise, you can kind of tack back and forth, but you can't go directly into the wind. So the wind's from the west, and actually they went up there, up the side, and they actually wanted to go on the outside there 
of that island of Cyprus, but the wind was from the west, so they couldn't. So they take the longer route. They stop there, and we see here that the centurion has some positive vibes towards Paul. He lets him get off the ship. And then the next day, from Sidon, they sail to Myra. Nine days, it was hard because the winds again were somewhat against them as they were kind of sailing somewhat into that west wind. And they ended up, then we see sailing on the inside of that island, and they ended up there up in Myra. At Myra, they changed ships. They got on a bigger ship. It was an Alexandrian grain ship. Uh, you know, it says there were 267 people on there plus the cargo, so that's a pretty good-sized boat. And they were there, and it's there that they took off. And what happened was, as they took off, they started, you know, kind of heading there. They were going to go to Snitsas, but the wind switched kind of out of the north. So now, again, they were going into the wind, so they had to change their course. And you see they went outside there of that island of Crete. And they ended up on the backside in this place called Fairhaven. Now, here's what was going on. It was getting late in the sailing season, probably November. You didn't sail from November to February, March, because it was just too risky. The ocean was too wild. The winds were too unpredictable. And so they had, it had been longer than they wanted to get there, and so they were pushing the clock. And Paul says, I don't think this is a good idea. Now, Paul's a prisoner. And, of course, you can't blame the centurion for listening to the experienced pilot. But they said, you know what? Fairhaven, they're on that, you see where it sits there, right on Crete. They said it's not a very good place to winter because they're talking now about staying for three, four months until the seas calm down. So they said, let's do this. Let's sail up to, the, up to the west side of Crete there because there's a nicer spot. It's called Phoenix, and that's where we could winter. It's only 37 miles. You know, 37 miles at 10 miles an hour is not even a four-hour sail. And so they waited, and then they had the perfect wind coming out of the, right out of the south. So the wind is pushing them along. It's keeping them close to Crete. They're, they maybe go along for two, three hours, and all of a sudden it happens. And there's a name for this. I couldn't, I'm not even going to say it because I can't pronounce it, but there's a name for this northeasterly wind. And that northeasterly wind in this time of year can come up in five minutes. And so who knows? Maybe they were 100 yards from shore, but all of a sudden this violet northeasterly came right down across the 7,000-foot mountains on Crete came right down onto the water, and they were in huge trouble. Because take a look at what's to the west, and it's nothing but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of the Adriatic Sea. And so they take in the lifeboat, and they try and shore up the ship, and they pull down the main mast and put up the storm mast and throw out an anchor to try and slow them down, and they have two options. One option is to head south with the wind. They head right northeastern with it. That puts them off the coast of Libya. Terrible place. Very dangerous reefs all along that coastline. And so that was really not a wise option. Their only other option was to head it as much as they could into the wind. And so the wind is out of the northeast. They're kind of tacking west-northwest there. And they're probably moving at, they estimate, about one and a half miles per hour, which is about a slow walk. This is about how fast the ship is moving. 
But you know, over 24 hours at one and a half miles an hour, that's 36 miles a day. And they figured it out. They figured, you know, about how fast the ship would be moving, where it would end up. And it's interesting that from that place and time, they figure it would be between 13 and 14 days and right around the area of the island of Malta, which is, of course, exactly what happened. And so they're in this ship. They're out of food. Uh, we can only imagine the scene you saw there was probably very mild. Uh, imagine people dry heaving all over that place. Seasick, they hadn't eaten, they were majorly stressed. You can only imagine what was going on. And they said after several days, these guys had been at sea, they, they thought there was no hope. There was no hope that they would survive. And so here they are, the ship is in very bad shape. And Paul gets up in the middle of this whole ordeal, and this is what he says. You see it up on the wall. Last night an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Everything has changed there. Everything has changed. And it almost appears from here on out like Paul is in charge. And so Paul gets up and the first thing he says is, um, <clears throat> seems to me I said something about this, guys. And at this point, and sharing what the angel of God had spoken to him, we see that the centurion now is in a place where he's going to listen to Paul. And so he, you know, Paul says, let's hand out food. They hand out food. Paul says, don't take the lifeboat. They don't take the lifeboat. Uh, when they're going to kill Paul, Julius the centurion says, no, we're not going to do that. And so, you know, 276 men make it safely to shore. It's, it's an amazing story. Just an amazing story. And, uh, you know, I guess there's a question I just wanted to ask you this morning as we think about this. You know, have you ever been in a storm? There's lots of storms in the Bible. Lots of storms in the Bible. Uh, there was this guy called, his name was uh, Jonah. You ever hear that name? He ended up in quite a storm. Now, some of you know the story. Basically, there were these people that Jonah hated. He hated their guts. He couldn't stand them. Other people couldn't stand them. They were called the Ninevites. When they captured people, they took them in and they gouged out their eyes. They cut off their ears and they cut off their noses. Took away their sight. Took away their hearing took away their sense of smell. Uh, not really very kind people, would you say? And, you know, you began to look at how, what the Ninevites did to people and how they lived, and you can begin to understand. I mean, imagine if that had been one of your nieces or nephews who was defaced and deformed. And so these were, these were crude people, these Ninevites. And, you know, if you put together Nazi Germany, Iran, and North Korea you probably get a little bit of the feel for the Ninevites. And the fear that Jonah had was that God was going to show grace, that he was going to go and, and share uh, God's, you know, the offer to repent and that they would receive God's grace. That's what he was concerned about. So he decides to take a vacation. A vacation from the Ninevites and a vacation from God. It's really hard, though, to take a vacation from God if you've ever tried that. As the psalmist says, wherever we go, you know, God is there. 
Whoever we are, God is there. And so God sends this storm, a terrible storm. And finally Jonah says, you know, you need to throw me over. And he gets swallowed by the fish and, and we have the rest of the story. But here's the point. Sometimes God sends a storm to get us to turn. To get us to turn. Another word for that in the Bible, and it's what the word means, is the word repent. And so sometimes God puts the screws to us in our lives because He's seeking to get us to turn. He's seeking to get us to repent. And by the way, you know, when we talk about storms, we're not just talking about wind storms. There's lots of different storms in your life. There's financial storms. There's emotional storms. There's situational, circumstantial storms that God will allow. Difficult things in our lives. Uh, there was another guy that was familiar with a storm. All of his kids had gotten together for a barbecue. And this incredible storm came off the desert. The walls in the house were blown in, and he lost all his kids. And just like that, all of them, his whole family, all his daughters, all his sons, everybody. And uh, his name was Job. You know, if you read the opening verses, we see that Satan comes to God and says, you know this guy Job, he's always praising you. Well, let me tell you why he's praising you. It's because you've given him all of this stuff. I mean, who wouldn't praise you if you gave him wealth and a family and health and all this stuff? He says, take that away. Let me tell you, he will curse your name. And so God said, okay. Certain things you can't do to him. You can't kill him. But beyond that, and so we see here that sometimes God sends a storm to test us. Sometimes He sends a storm in our life to test us. And there are many things that were here for Job, but, but that was just one of those things. It, it kind of reveals the true... It kind of reveals the true love of your heart, doesn't it? When, when God maybe sometimes sets something before you and says, Okay, choose. You say, well, God, why, why is you putting that? Why are you putting that in front of me or allowing that to be there? And God may be testing your heart. There were the disciples. They knew all about storms. In fact, many of the disciples grew up on the lake. They grew up on the Sea of Galilee. They were fishermen. I mean, these guys had to know all about storms. The sea of Galilee was real shallow. In just a few moments, they said waves could be 8 to 10 feet. That's pretty high, 8 to 10 foot waves. And so we see that, you know, one time they're out on the boat, and, you know, you always picture Jesus teaching and preaching. I love this picture. Jesus is taking a nap. He's napping. And he's in the boat, and these guys are scared to death. These are guys that live, have lived and made their living off the sea. You can bet this is quite a storm. And you can just imagine the conversation, you know, what? You know, should we wake up Jesus? I may be a little embarrassed to wake up Jesus when you're supposed to be the guys that know about the water, and, and yet Jesus is down sleeping. And so they finally wake him up. And he walks on the deck, and he, he, he speaks the word, and the wind stops, and the waves stop. And disciples go, man, the wind obeys this man. Even the waves obey him. And, and Jesus was trying to teach them something about his power and about, you know, just really, really teaching them about who he was. He says, don't, don't you guys still have faith? 
And so sometimes God will send a storm to teach us. Sometimes God will send a storm to teach us. There is something that he's wanting to teach. And of course, there's Peter. This is a different time. Jesus sends him out in the boat. There's another terrific storm. And Jesus comes walking on the water. Probably a lot of us have heard that story. But maybe not all of us have heard that. But Jesus comes out and, and Peter says, Lord, I, I, you know, bid me to come and walk on the water. And Peter goes out and then he falters and he sinks and Jesus, Jesus picks him up. So what do you, you know, let's give Peter a little credit here. I mean, first of all, it's pretty gutsy, isn't it, to want to go out and walk on the water? I mean, most of the guys were going, hey, let's get Jesus to the boat. But Peter, you know, so give him a little credit there. And secondly, you know, what do you think of when you think of Peter walking on the water? We always think of Peter who, who lost faith and went down. But do we ever think about the fact that this is the only guy we know of in the history of the world that ever did take a few steps on water? I mean, he did walk on water. Yeah, he faltered, but he also walked on water. And that's the great thing about Peter. He wasn't afraid to fail. He wasn't afraid to get out of the boat. And that's another whole message. Sometimes God sends us a storm to teach us to trust him. Sometimes God will put us in those situations to get us to trust him. And then, finally... This brings us back to Paul, Acts 27. We see here life is, Paul's life is again in this very precarious situation. Places that he should have died, all these men should have died in this storm. This was crazy what took place here. Fourteen days in, in this storm that was so violent. And yet, we see here that now Paul has an opportunity to testify the power of God in his life in the midst of this storm. And so... You know, God will also bring storms into your life to allow you to testify to His power and His grace in your life. So again, I ask you, you know, how about you this morning? Do you have, do you have any storms going on in your life? And if so, maybe you need to just sit down and think, you know, is, is God trying to turn me? Or is, he, is this a test for my heart? Or is He trying to teach me? Is this an opportunity? Is this trying to develop trust? Is, is this an opportunity to testify to what he's doing in my life? You know, I look back over my life and, and, and I can identify these storms in my life. I can just see them in front of me. You don't forget the storms in your life. And you look back and, and if you think about them, God was probably want, wanting to do one of these things, teach you or turn you or help you to trust or give you an opportunity one day to testify to just how faithful God really is. Let me just conclude. <clears throat> Joe Briscoe is a... Uh, I, I really enjoy Joe Briscoe. She's a, a great uh, teacher, a great woman of God. And she was uh, sharing at the Rose Garden couple of you maybe were there at National Day of Prayer this year. And she was talking about a, uh, a hobby that her and Stuart, her husband, have taken up, and that's bird, bird watching. They watch birds. And she was talking about eagles. You know, she said in the Bible, it, it says, consider the birds. 
So it's kind of biblical to consider the birds. And she's talking about eagles, and it takes 20 times as much energy for an eagle to flap its wings as it does to just hold its wings and glide, about 20 times. In fact, you know, eagles migrate, but they tell us if they had to fly all the way, they would die. They could not fly all the way. They, they just, I don't know if their bodies are so big or whatever, but they can't fly. They have to learn. They have to learn how to soar. And what they do is they catch these thermals. And thermals are like turbulence. But they catch these thermals and they go into them and the turbulence goes up. And sometimes they'll go up as high as three miles above the earth. And then when they get to the top, then they move out of it and they just spread their wings and they, and they just soar. And, you know, as they soar, they gradually go down, but they're also going out. And when they come down, they hit another thermal and they enter into that turbulence and it pulls them up again and then they will just soar and they will travel thousands of miles on these thermals in such a way. It's just an amazing, amazing thing how they do that. You know, you have those thermals that come into your life and, and you have an option. You can either let them spin you around and tear you up or you can... You know, we can learn in those times of turbulence to allow God to draw us deeper into His presence and to allow us to do that work that He's seeking to do in our lives and come out of that thing on a much higher level than what we went in. There's a lot that we could learn from this story, but this morning... I, I just want to tell you that <clears throat> God's at work in the middle of the storm. And uh, we sing a little song when I was a little kid. And it went, who's in the middle of the dark? No, God is. Who's in the middle of the dark? God is. Who's in the middle of the dark? All the kids would shout, God is. I'm not afraid when God is in the dark. Who's in the middle of the storm? God is. That is a great song. You know, you don't have to be three to learn that song. Some of us need to sing that song. And uh, if you're one of those people, uh, <clears throat> God will do amazing things in the middle of the storm. Father, we thank you today for this storm in Paul's life. Thank you for what you did in the middle of it. We thank you for your faithfulness in it. Lord, you have made the same promises to us that you made to Paul. That if we will turn our eyes and our hearts to you, that you will be with us in the midst of the storm. And so, Father, I pray for, I just want to pray for, for people here today, <clears throat> people who are in the storm and just need to rely on you, people who are in the storm and need to turn to you, perhaps for the first time, and to invite your presence into their lives to receive the forgiveness that comes through our simple faith in Jesus Christ and so, Father, we, uh, we pray that you'd use your word today in our hearts in the way that you intend. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.